Secrets are funny things, aren't they? Uh, probably everybody in this room at some point has had somebody come up to them and say, hey, let's go somewhere quiet. I need to talk to you about something, right? Don't you get excited? I know I do. Uh, you're about to get let in in the inner circle, right? The inner circle of knowledge. And then you tell the person who tells the secret, oh, yes, I understand. It's between us. And then what do you do? You don't keep it. We can't keep secrets. That's the funny thing about secrets. We can't keep them. You know you can't. I can't. So we go and find somebody else and say, hey, this is uh, under the radar, but come here, I've got to tell you something. Secrets burn a hole in our mind like a dollar bill in a pocket of a kid at a candy store, don't they? We just can't wait to let somebody else know that we are an insider. Secrets are indeed difficult to keep. Now, imagine getting let in on the secret of Jesus' divine glory. On his divine glory. Uh, after Peter, James, and John have ascended the mountain in which they see the transfigured Jesus, Jesus tells them to keep it a secret. Tell no one about this vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. What is up with that? Jesus, don't you know that secrets don't make friends? Can you imagine what was going on in those disciples' minds, thinking about the reality of keeping such a thing a secret, how hard it would have been to keep his glory a secret? What do you think their conversation was like later that night over beer? Did you see Elijah's beard? That thing was massive. I thought Moses would be a little bit taller. Peter, what were you talking about building tents for? We had a great cloud covering us right there for crying out loud. Fun to imagine. But do you know what was really revealed to them on that mountain? When Jesus, after some reflection, uh, I think they would have figured it out if they hadn't already. Because they would have thought about the Old Testament scriptures and the role of Moses and the role of Elijah and what that meant. They would have thought about the descriptions in the book of Exodus, like we heard today in our passage from Exodus, of Moses ascending to the top of Mount Sinai into the very glory of God to receive instruction for the people. And the Bible tells us that when he descended from the mountain, he had to wear a veil over his face for a while because there was like this lingering glory that came from God's presence that the people could not bear. Here's another thing I think they would have thought about. Elijah, at the very end of the Old Testament, this like in the last three verses of the Old Testament, um, the prophet Malachi, or as I like to say, the Italian prophet Malachi, says that Elijah is going to be sent before the day of the Lord. It says that Elijah is going to return before the day of the Lord. Now, if you keep reading through the Gospel of Matthew and uh, what follows after the transfiguration, they've come down from the mountain, they're talking to Jesus about Elijah, and Jesus says, Elijah has indeed already come. And it says that they realized that then he was talking about John the Baptist. Now, the disciples were not always the brightest crayons in the box, but I think even they would have followed this logic. Elijah is to come first, then the Lord is to come. Well, if John the Baptist plays the prophetic role of Elijah then what does that make Jesus? You draw the conclusions, right? Light bulb moment. 
When Jesus himself is transfigured, shining, not just reflecting God's glory as Moses' face did, but actually showing it is of his essence and it is beaming through him, the voice of God thunders out from heaven as it did at his baptism and once again affirms his identity. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter, James, and John, they hit the deck because that voice is thunderous and scary. And Jesus walks over to them and says, Do not be afraid. Rise up. Then he tells them to keep this whole divine glory thing a secret. Why does Jesus tell them to keep all of this a secret? That's the question I want to ask. Why does Jesus tell them to keep all of this a secret? His glory has just been revealed. He's shown them that he is literally the embodiment of the king of heaven. The one who is to come for his people. Now, why in the world does that need to remain a secret? Isn't that something that should be proclaimed boldly and openly? There's a clue in what Jesus says. He says, until. Until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So now the question is, why wait until after he has been raised from the dead? This sort of thing happens, this sort of strange secrecy happens all throughout the Gospel of Mark, if you read through it. Mark tells us that often when Jesus has an encounter with a person in which he heals or casts out a demon, he says, tell no one about this. His identity is revealed in these miracles, and he says, tell no one about this. So what's the deal with all the secrecy? You see, there were so many expectations about what the Messiah would be, who the Messiah would be, and what his role would look like. There were so many expectations about what his glory would be like and the glory that he would bring to his people. And so many of the Israelites were expecting that glory to come about through triumphant warfare against their enemies and material well-being and prosperity. And that's just the thing that Jesus will not let them thinking the glory he was to manifest would come about in a way that nobody expected his glory would come about through a life of service not political authority through dining with sinners not feasting with the powerful through healing the sick not grasping for social status by blessing and forgiving his enemies, not destroying them in bloody warfare. His throne, this king's throne, was not in a luxurious palace, but on the tree to which he was nailed. He did not wear an ornate, bejeweled crown, but one weaved of thorns. For Jesus, glory was ultimately achieved through the cross. That is the paradox of this beautiful thing that we call the Christian faith. Glory is achieved through the way of the cross. So Jesus tells this inner circle of disciples not to go around speaking of his glory just yet because his mission was not yet completed. His glory would be consummated only once he died and was raised by the Father from the dead. And he needed them to see that this, the path to the cross, full of difficulty and suffering and self-giving, This was the way to glory. 
Shortly before they had ascended the mountain, you can back up a little bit in Matthew's gospel and read the, the, the conversation that precedes this immediately. Jesus was explaining to his disciples about the suffering that he would have to undergo. Okay, and they did not yet really fully realize who he was. And Peter takes him aside and Matthew tells us that Peter rebukes Jesus and he says, God forbid it. This must never happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus, knowing who was actually behind those seemingly loving and caring words, said this, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not thinking of divine things, but of human things. You see, Peter, like so many of us, wanted to find a way to glory without suffering, a way that wasn't costly. And this is one of the reasons that the Lord takes this inner circle of disciples up on this mountain and reveals to them his glory and the glory that they would share in too once they walked their own path, denying themselves and taking up their cross. What a confidence booster that must have been to see the glory that would be inherited. So what does all this mean for us? Brothers and sisters in Jesus, you and I are intended for glory. We were created for glory. In fact, Paul tells us that we already have a degree of glory given to us just by virtue of our baptismal status and our faith in Jesus. He says that unlike Moses who had to wear that veil over his face to hide the glory of the Lord, he says we walk around with unveiled faces revealing the glory of the Lord as if a mirror, as if we are a mirror reflecting it. Wow, do you think about that when you wake up in the morning and leave the house? I am a vessel reflecting the glory of God like a mirror. This is an icon. I am a very big fan of icons. You can ask my wife. Uh, This is an icon of our Lord. And in Eastern Orthodox Christianity, icons always portray the Lord or the Mother of God or the saints in what I call the perspective of glory, the glory perspective. You can see how they use all these bright golds and yellows to illumine the beauty of divine, glorified life. They, they portray the state for which each of us, each of God's children, was created. One Orthodox theologian commenting on icons says that they do not represent the corruptible flesh destined for decomposition, They represent the transfigured flesh, illuminated by grace, the flesh of the world to come. Friends, this is what we are intended for. This is our end. It's what we are being transfigured into even now from one degree of glory to another. But we must remember, as our Lord reminded his disciples, that the way to the ultimate transformation into glory is by a life of self-giving. Here's a little thing to help you remember this principle. Glory arises through giving. Glory arises through giving. Giving ourselves on behalf of God's kingdom. What does that look like? What does that look like? You see, God's glory is manifested in us when we choose vulnerability over power, when we choose humility over hubris, when we choose to associate with the poor rather than the popular, when we forgive our enemies rather than resent them, 
when we do for others without needing anyone else to know about it. God's glory is manifest in our lives when they look like Jesus' life. It is, after all, his image into which we are being transfigured. St. John tells us in his epistle, when we see him, we shall be like him. When we see him, we shall be like him. But here's the temptation. The temptation is cheap glory. Glory that doesn't cost anything. Glory that is achieved by self-advancement. Glory that is achieved by consumerism. Glory that is achieved by social status, personal comfort, power. Glory that is gained by triumphing over others rather than becoming their servant. And the thing about cheap glory is that it's an illusion. It's not even real. Because real glory costs something. As we are entering, about to enter into the season of Lent, starting on uh, Wednesday, and those alleluias disappear from our liturgy, um, it's a wonderful time of year. I know it is, for me, a a time to ask questions of myself. Uh, One of those questions being, Where am I seeking glory in this life, cheap glory that isn't costly? Where have I become so consumed with myself and my own needs that I've forgotten that my life is to be for the sake of others? I said earlier that we know Peter internalized the message he learned at the transfiguration because we have historical record that he suffered a very similar death to our Lord boldly proclaiming his name and suffering for it. But before his death, he writes to a group of Christians in his epistle, 1 Peter, Rejoice! Rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ... Now you think, what's he going to say? You poor baby. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you poor. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. Because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. You and I are hardly reviled for the name of Christ, nor are our lives in danger because of our faith. Thanks be to God. But there is a susceptibility to the kind of worldly thinking that sees glory through the lens of self-gain and personal comfort rather than through the lens of the cross. Knowing what we are intended for. Knowing what our destination is. You and I are given the mission to go out in that, into the world rejoicing in the opportunity to lay our lives down for the sake of others. For it is in that way that we will find our own transfiguration into eternal glory. Amen.